Please listen as Mike Sloan, our assistant pastor, brings the message that God has for us on this Lord's Day. We will read our uh, sermon text for this morning. Uh, This is an account in Mark's Gospel uh, that records Jesus' trip to Nazareth, to his hometown. And as uh, Dan read the account in Luke earlier, uh, there's a little uncertainty. Is this the same visit or not? It really doesn't uh, matter in in a sense as we approach our text. We're going to look at Mark's account. Um, Probably this is a different account in my opinion, but after Jesus has been ministering for a while... Uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing others. He comes to his hometown. And in Mark, we need to know the context of the whole gospel of Mark is that Jesus is calling all of us to follow him, to be a disciple, to stand with him. And in particular, in this section in Mark, uh, Jesus is, uh, Mark is showing us who Jesus is. As he's calling us to follow him, he's saying, look at Jesus. Look, look who he is. Look what he does. And so here is an important uh, little passage teaches us a key element of who Jesus is, and, and that is simply, uh, Jesus is someone who offends people. And that's the simple truth presented here. Jesus offends. Um, so we're going to look at that. Let's look at Mark 6, starting at verse 1. He, uh, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Let's pray together. Father, uh, this is your word. Uh, You are speaking to us. Uh, Give us grace. Give us ears to hear. Uh, to listen to your son, Jesus. Uh, Father, we ask uh, in his name. Amen. So Jesus is someone who offends. Uh, That was obviously one of the key words there in the passage in verse 3. At the very end, it says it just directly. They took offense at him. And that word, uh, took offense, it's a very strong word. Uh, They were very, uh, their ire was up. They were very hostile toward Jesus. It's a very strong reaction. Uh, we know through the Gospels, as we read them, if you're familiar with the Gospels, Jesus is always astonishing people. And we see that here, uh, sometimes in a positive sense, sometimes in a negative sense, like we have here. But Jesus is always astonishing people. He's getting a reaction. And, you know, obviously sometimes he's filling people with joy because they've been healed. They've seen someone healed. Uh, they're just amazed and overwhelmed. But at times, uh, they're, they're just full of consternation. They uh, react negatively, uh, so much so that you read in some of the accounts, well, after this amazing thing, they went out to plot to kill him. Uh, so there's the, both this positive and negative reaction uh, of astonishment. Uh, 
And clearly some people are very offended uh, Jesus. And when you look at the Gospels, look, Jesus ends up offending everyone at some point, even his own disciples, of course, um, the leadership of Israel. Uh, but here in Nazareth, uh, just some common people in a small town, people who know him, people who are close to him, who he grew up with, he offends them as well. So this is a key part of Jesus's own teaching about himself. Jesus was always saying the Christ must be rejected. We know that. That's a key part of who Jesus is. That's a key part of his identity. Notice in verse 1, the disciples come with him. His disciples followed him. So this this is a small detail that's very important because this is key to following Jesus. We need to understand this as his disciples. If you're following Jesus, you need to understand and see, he brought them along, to see this rejection and understand that this is who Jesus is. He is someone who is rejected. Um, and when Jesus comes to his hometown, it's his turn to be astonished. He starts to marvel at their unbelief. And let's take a closer look. Um, what we're going to do now is just take a closer look at this rejection, take a closer look at why this disturbs Jesus so much, and why is it that Jesus is someone who offends? So why is it uh, that people reject Jesus. So three three headings we're going to use. We're going to talk about the surprise of rejection. Uh, we'll talk about the root of rejection, and then we'll talk about the tragedy of rejection. If you want to, if you're keeping notes. So those three headings. So the surprise of rejection. Obviously, we're not surprised that some people reject Jesus. As I mentioned, the the leadership of Israel, uh, people like those who are in Herod's court, the king who have allied themselves with Rome, who are pursuing power and money, of course Jesus offends them because he, he just smacks them around and says, you guys love money. That's all you care about. You don't even, you don't trust God. You don't believe in God. And of course he offends the Pharisees because he gets onto them. Now these are not in official places of power, but very much in a place of spiritual power as leaders and teachers among the people And Jesus says, you guys are full of self-righteousness and all you care about is the outer uh, performance of good deeds. And inside you're dead. You're spiritually dead. Well, of course, that offends them. But here we have such a surprise because Jesus comes to his hometown, to the local synagogue, to his own people, people who were, you know, these are the these are the, the humble people of a small town in a humble place. These were religious people, devout people. And Jesus comes to them uh, and they're offended. Now, this is probably we know that Jesus lived his adult life. He moved to a place called Capernaum. that was on the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth was about a 20 mile trip away. So he takes his disciples. They travel about 20 miles away to come to Nazareth to visit his hometown. And we know this about these people, that these are the devout, you know, salt of the earth type of people. I mean, you look at the names of Jesus's siblings, uh, James and Judas, which is Judah. James is actually the Old Testament name, Jacob, uh, Simon. I mean, these are people who name their kids like we do. I mean, people who name their kids uh, Anna and Caleb, uh, like we do, you know, those types of names, Josiah. That's the type of people these are. And yet they're offended at Jesus. These are people with sound theology. And it's, it's surprising because these are the least likely people you would think to reject Jesus. You think they would welcome him with open arms. And so the text before us is saying clearly 
Jesus offends everyone. You have to understand this. Jesus offends everyone. Even here, even among us, Jesus offends. And that's what Jesus says. Look, a prophet is not accepted except in his his hometown, right? His prophet's accepted except in his hometown, among his own, among his family. Uh, That's just how it is. So even here at Old Peachtree, we need to realize uh, Jesus will offend us. Now, that's, that's something we need to pursue and think more about. I just wonder if you've had this experience as you're reading the Gospels. When you come across a passage where people reject Jesus, have you ever caught yourself thinking, man, why don't they get it? Those idiots. Can't they see? It's Jesus. If I was there, that would not be me. Have you ever had that experience or wondered, how can they not get it? How can these people we read all around Jesus be so thick? Well, let me say this to you. If you've done that, if you've thought that, in that moment, you're showing that you would be right there with them, being offended by Jesus. Now, why is that the case? Well, we'll have to hold on for just a second before we answer that. But you basically, the answer is you're having the same basic mindset at that moment. And so this should give us pause. Let's just pause for a second and really let this sink in. This surprise twist, those who are most familiar with Jesus, those who should be most willing to welcome him and honor him, are often those who push him away and are most offended at him, including me, including you. So let's let that sink in. I hope that humbles us. I hope that grips us that we here at Old Peachtree might join in being offended and rejecting Jesus. Uh, Over the last couple of years, I've been able to do some research on my family history and and several branches, but in particular, my mom's family, we've been able to trace back into a Christian family in Scotland in the 1600s, all the way back even into the 1500s. It's just been astounding some of the things we've uncovered, and it's just very humbling to see God's grace at work um, in that part of the family. But there's also some real key lessons that have come out of this, because you can see clearly as the family moved to America that faith was passed down generation to generation. But then some point, 100, 150 years ago, that faith was lost. It was forgotten. And uh, in some branches of the family, in fact, among some of my mom's own cousins and my mom's aunts and uncles, who I knew and know now, uh, the people who would be most likely, uh, you would think, to uh, just embrace Jesus, people who believe in God, people who uh, have you know, a clear moral uh, guidance in their life, they're, they're offended And I've talked to them. They're completely offended by Jesus. They reject Jesus. And that's how it can be uh, often. So it should give us pause. Now, so it's surprising, this rejection. So let's go a little deeper. So what's the root of this rejection? Look at the questions that are being asked by uh, the people here in the synagogue. Verse 3. Here's one of the types, some of the types of questions. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? 
Now, you can understand a little bit the incredulity here. I mean, they know Jesus. They saw him as a little boy, you know, throwing rocks and running around. They, they know him. That's a little bit understandable that he is now, um, you know, obviously his deity was, was veiled in, in a sense in his, human, in his humanity. And he didn't do a bunch of miracles until his public ministry began. So it's a little understandable why they're having a hard time with this. And of course, we, we should cut them a little slack there. There's that tension between Jesus' great wisdom and power and his humble beginnings and his true humanity. So that, that makes sense to us a little bit. But think about, as much as, as that is a hard thing for them to get past, what a marvelous thing to think about for just a moment. God entered our world and lived the human life. He joined us, lived side by side with us to identify with us, to ultimately save us. What a beautiful thing. So what's, what's really going on? Why would we reject that? What's going on with this rejection? Um, it's, it's offense. It's hostility toward him. Well, it's not on the surface because we don't have any of Jesus' sermon recorded. We just have the reaction, right? Often in Scripture, you get a summary of a sermon. Well, here we don't even get the summary. So we're kind of left to read between the lines a little bit, but actually not really, because Mark has been showing us all along what Jesus says when he preaches. We know that he preaches the good news of the kingdom of God, and we have recorded elsewhere the type of teaching that he does. And... and You know, what does that mean when Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom, that he's the king of that kingdom? Well, Jesus is telling the story of reality. He's saying this world was made to honor God, to be God's kingdom, to proclaim his glory. And sin has entered into that world and ruined it. And you have rebelled against your king. And misery and sin has just spread and penetrates every part of this existence and of this life. And I have come as an invader to restore and redeem every aspect of this universe, to redeem it, to undo all the things that have been done, most of all, to die for those sins and to make atonement for you. And look, if that story is true and Jesus proclaims that, what is he telling the people? What is he telling those people in Nazareth? If that's true, you're not the devout religious person you thought you were, are you? No, you're a part of this rebellious world. You're a part of this world that has taken a stance against your king. And the root of the rejection is that this faith that they have is not in the king who's going to set things right, but ultimately in themselves. Do you hear the self-confidence, the self-trust, the self-righteousness in their questions? They sit in judgment on the Lord. They sit in judgment on Jesus and reject him. Look at verse 2. Where did this man get these things? Who are they really trusting in? You know, they question his wisdom and his power. Jesus, your wisdom says that we're not wise. I can't accept that. Your power says... I desperately need your power to save me, to redeem me, to rescue, to heal. I need that power in my life. I can't accept that, Jesus. I'm doing just fine without you. Thank you very much. And to trust Jesus means, of course, that we're far more sinful and we need him far more desperately than we'd like to admit. 
We're not together people. We don't get it. We aren't faithful. Obviously, none of us in this room, I trust, would say, Jesus, I don't need you. But again, the point from the surprise is right. It's subtle, isn't it? We subtly shift our faith. How do we detect this root of unbelief in our own lives? Well, there's lots of ways, but just think about this one. Uh, tonight, we're going to gather, and in our evening service uh, as a youth lead worship, uh, I hope all of you will come. We're going to share with you what we've learned, uh, the kids and the youth together, about prayer. And do you know when you look at Scripture, and especially uh, we looked at some of Paul's letters and what Paul prays for and what his heart really pours out to the Lord for is for us to be holy. Make us like Jesus. Lord, humble us. Increase our love. Jesus, we desperately need you to change us. So I hope uh, that's that's a diagnostic. Are your prayers mainly about Jesus? Take away sin from my heart. Change me. Take away my self-reliance, my self-trust. Open my eyes to my sin that I can flee from it and flee to you. Uh, That's a good test of this recognizing this subtle shift from trusting uh, Jesus to trusting self. We also know Jesus already at this point in Mark has made the statement uh, kind of a paradigm. Look, it is not those who are well that need a physician, right? Who needs the physician? It's those who are sick. Actually, on Friday, I took Anna and Eleanor uh, for their well checkups. So the exception to the rule there, um, they were not sick, yet we went to the doctor. But typically, right, who needs the doctor? It's the sick. The sick need the doctor. So what is Jesus saying? Do you know that you're sick? Do you know you need Jesus to heal you, to help you? So when we, as we said before, if you have that experience... How can these people not get it? How can they be so thick? In that moment, what are we saying? I get it. I don't need Jesus. I'm well. I understand. And Jesus would say to us in that moment, you are blind. You don't get it. You don't. Your statement shows that you don't get it. You need me. The opposite mindset, though of those who trust the gospel, who believe the gospel, is Jesus, you have had mercy on me. I am blind and I need you today to help me see your truth, to see things the way they truly are, to help me to turn away from myself and turn to you. I need you, Jesus. I need you today. And so that's obviously a theme throughout the gospels. Those who know they're blind, who know they're sick, receive mercy, receive grace, receive sight, Those who say, I see, I get it, they're rejected. Jesus says you're blind, and he moves on. One other diagnostic that we can use by way of application. Uh, In RYM, we heard from a preacher, Brian Habig, who's a pastor in South Carolina, and he blessed us with his teaching about God's word. And one of his points that I'll remember uh, for a long time is he said, look, uh, when God's word comes to us, when we read it, when we hear it preached, if you are not letting that challenge you all the time, if you're not being challenged, then what are you doing? Are you paying attention or not? Jesus is speaking to you. You're not reading enough of God's word if you're not being offended, if you're not being challenged. So I would ask you that. Are you challenged often with the scriptures? 
Is Jesus speaking to you in a way that you are you know, being thoughtful about? Being, uh, you know, Jesus, help me. I need your help. Uh, I don't understand. Uh, this, this offends me, Jesus. I need your help. Uh, this offends my sensibilities. Uh, if that doesn't happen often, have you pushed Jesus away? Are you even listening to him? Have you put him at arm's length? So that's the root of rejection, this unbelief. Uh, so the surprise and then the, re- the root of rejection. Now, thirdly, the tragedy of rejection. In verse 5, there's that puzzling phrase, right? Uh, it says, and he could do no mighty work there. Now, obviously, people get bothered by that phrase because of maybe what it implies on the surface about Jesus. Before we even talk about that, though, think about that for a second. Think about that phrase. What if that was said of us? Just stop and think. What if that was said of us here at Old Peachtree? He could do no mighty work there. He didn't do a mighty work for those people. What a tragedy that would be. Jesus did no mighty things in our lives. Well, that is the end of unbelief, of rejecting Jesus. Uh, And of course, it's not for his lack of power. It's not saying Jesus was not able to do it. Uh, In Mark's account, the phrasing makes it clear. Look, it's the fault was in them and their unbelief. Jesus did not, in the face of their unbelief, uh, pour out the blessings of the kingdom upon them. Because the the kingdom is received by faith, uh, plain and simple. Uh, We receive the blessings of a new creation, of redemption, of the kingdom through faith. Uh, just before this, Jesus is talking in chapter four, and he's talking about listening to him, receiving him, trusting in him or not. And he says this, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. In other words, if you buy in, if you trust me, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. To the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, the one who rejects, even what he has will be taken away. So our faith takes us deeper in to the kingdom, deeper into the blessings of the kingdom. So the more we die to our pride, our self-confidence, our self-trust, and throw ourselves on Jesus for grace, the more we experience his blessings. Through faith, there's always more blessings to experience from Christ. There's an entire new kingdom coming. There's an entire new creation coming. And so faith takes us deeper into that. How tragic to those who put Jesus at arm's length because of their self-righteousness. Remember that episode um, in in Mark's account. It comes right after this where uh, John the Baptist is put in prison. Well, Matthew tells us in prison, John the Baptist has that moment. Do you remember of wavering in his faith in Jesus? And we read this in Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Those who are offended do not get the blessings of the kingdom. But look at the, look at the blessings of those who are not offended by Christ, who put their faith in him. All of those blessings Jesus reminded John of. 
And of course, the tragedy is also not just that you miss out on the blessing, but that the opportunity ends at some point, doesn't it? Look at verse 6, the last thing. Jesus marvels at their unbelief. And it says then, and he went about among the villages teaching. Jesus moved on. At some point, the opportunity closes. So this episode hammers home the point. Jesus is someone who offends and he offends everyone. He's rejected by his hometown. Those like us who are most familiar with him. So that begs the question, where do we stand this morning? Where is our heart? I hope you understand uh, this offense of Jesus and that there are really two kinds of people who are offended. One group is, is in a very dangerous position and the other, and I hope this is you, I want to encourage you. Uh, the dangerous group in a dangerous position, if you're here this morning thinking, well, no, Jesus does not offend me. Why would he offend me? Well, you're in a dangerous position this morning. Because that disturbs Jesus. That shows that perhaps you're thinking, well, of course, I would, I would not reject Jesus. I, he, he does not offend me. I'm, I'm the right type of person. I'm, I'm not a religious person. But you aren't understanding the gospel, are you? That the gospel's for sinners. Uh, if Jesus showed up today, I think you would be offended. But you wouldn't realize it uh, at this moment, perhaps. But if Jesus showed up, it would become clear. What about the other group? The other group are those who say, yes, I understand. Jesus offends me because I am I definitely a self-righteous person at times. I definitely wrestle with this. I don't like to be shown my sin, Jesus. I don't like to uh, be shown uh, how ugly I can be and how ugly my attitudes can be. Jesus, you offend me. You reveal that to me. And yet, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me despite myself. Um, if you see that this morning then praise the Lord. Be encouraged. Uh, God is at work in your heart. So this is obviously a challenging text, a challenging message. But don't miss the fact that this passage is full of grace. Um, it's just the grace of Jesus is, is huge here. It's on display because the fact that Jesus is always rejected foreshadows his ultimate rejection. Where? On the cross, right? His rejection by everyone leads him down that path to the cross. It's the only way. How can Jesus redeem a people who are so stubborn like us, who are so full of themselves, who are so blind to their self-trust? He has to go to the cross. That's where the rejection leads him. And he knows that's where it leads him. And he still goes. For me, for you. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus on display here. Um, It's even in the passage. Uh, do you notice the brothers, the sisters aren't named, but the brothers who are named, who are those people? You know what happened to them? James, Judas. Well, if you've read the book of James, you've read that man's words testifying to the truth about Jesus. And if you've read Jude, you've read that man in this passage and his testimony of his faith that we contend for the faith, the faith of Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? Even in this text, he's pursuing these people he knows because he cares for them, giving them hard words because he loves them. And what did Jesus do after he rose from the dead? After he went to the cross for James and for Jude, he appeared to them, said, my brothers, 
It's true. I am the king of the kingdom. I love you. I've died for you. You put your faith now in me. Do not be unbelieving. Trust me. The the grace of Jesus here is is amazing. And of course, Peter uh, and Mark, from where we get this account, uh, would have known James and Jude. They would have told the story to those present when Mark wrote this gospel and encouraged them with this. Um, And that should encourage us to pray, Lord, you never give up, do you? You pursue us. Take our hearts of stone. Take our self-righteousness. Take our self-trust. Help us to see where we subtly shift our faith from you. Encourage us so that we are blessed because we're not offended by you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Uh, Jesus does offend. He offends us because we can be so full of self-righteousness. We don't truly believe the gospel enough. Father, please give us eyes to see. Help it to penetrate uh, to the deepest parts of our lives. Uh, Help us to put it to work uh, in our lives that we might love you more. We might bless others. Uh, We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.